And very rarely when there is not a fire, it's okay, which brand needs the most love right now? Which, you know, I won't lie, it's very, it's difficult to have two slash three emerging mid-sized brands because they're all, it's like having triplets, you know? Um, And then, you know, the older one doesn't get as much love, even though they're the biggest money maker and that's where you should be investing your time. So it's, it's a very big push or pull. Um, but again, you know, my roles really are just making sure that our portfolio is staying on track and I can help in terms of driving those revenue and sales uh, to where they need to be so operationally we can support, you know, a bigger infrastructure as we grow. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchise or platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. My life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Hello and welcome to another episode of the I Fired My Boss podcast, formerly the Franchise Founders podcast, but we've since rebranded recently, as you may know, if you're a listener. And we're so excited to have our guest on today, Madeline Zoop, um, multi-brand franchisee, serial entrepreneur. She's doing a ton of things while also running a marketing and just maybe busier than me, which is amazing. I'm so excited to learn about her background because she makes it seem like she's not busy at all in the two times we've spoken so far. But um, before we introduce her, I've got Christian Dadalak on. Hey, Christian, how are you? Doing awesome, man. It's so weird to hear the uh, the I Fired My Boss podcast. I still just naturally want to say franchise founders because we've been doing that for so long, but I love it. Yeah, excited to be here. We have an amazing guest on that I think is just going to blow everybody's minds in terms of her level of experience within franchising and um, super impressed even just from the conversations we were having before we started recording and uh, really excited to, to dig into it, Madeline. So less about me. Let's, let's, let's get into you, Madeline. Tell us about how you got into franchising. Yeah. So like most people in franchising, I kind of fell into it. Uh, I played semi-professional basketball after college and then started out as a marketing assistant um, and got recruited over through basketball connections to what at the time was made pro franchising. I uh, spent about a decade there, eventually was the director of brands. We had about nine brands uh, bought out by Riverside. Um, during that time, I met my husband who was a made pro franchisee and we got married and now we own four different franchise brands. We have a home cleaning, exterior cleaning, closets and pest control. Um, with two different franchisors, three kids, and um, about midway through the pandemic, I made the switch over to NetCertif. I'm the director of marketing. They're a digital marketing supplier for franchises. Um, I figured I'm a Z, I'm a Zora, might as well try the supplier space. And now I'm just uh, very uh, interconnected with you know teaching people correct ways to do franchising, marketing development, um, you know, and and just kind of expanding my uh, education and connections that way. So that's what I'm doing regularly and wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> it's funny because um, 
again, we, we got connected uh, not so long ago. And before recording, I was saying how it's amazing that we haven't met like in the franchise circuit before. But it's funny because as soon as we met, I feel like I keep getting pointed in your direction. Like I had posted something on LinkedIn around marketing and like four or five people just said like, talk to you. They tagged you in the post and your companies. And uh, Christian, what you don't know is Madeline didn't mention it yet, but she also just, she's a voter franchisee too. She just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> Listen, I have a funny story after this morning. We were at, my husband and I were at the IFA in 2021, maybe? Yeah. Or 2022. Yeah. And, um, you know, you take, we're out in the one of the big fancy open bar dinners and you figure you take your husband out to a franchise event and someone comes over and goes, you need to go get your husband at the bar. And you're thinking, who's hitting on him? Who do I got to fight? Or like he had too, too many tequilas and I got to go get him. No, no. He was over there with a brands about to sign an FDD like at midnight because he was like, this is a great franchise model. Let's just do it. (laughs) Cheers. And I was like, so most people are, you know, dealing with like the social aspect. I'm over here having to like wrangle in my partner from signing an FDD half in the bag. So (laughs) I'm sure we'll have a vote of one of these days. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Vote is is all right. I'm just kidding. It's it's an amazing (laughs) brand. Yeah. Uh, I know the founder. He's my friend. Um, <laughs> well, uh, well, let's get into that a little bit because I mean, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you don't do enough. It sounds like mm-hmm. you have a lot of free time on your hands. So much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you fell into franchising. How did you get involved with the first brand you said was Made Pro? Yeah, yeah. So, so how- I was I came on as their like marketing coordinator, and at the time they had just split up their franchise development marketing and franchise consumer marketing. So I was kind of on the development side there for a while, helping build the brand, build up broker relations, you know, all of that stuff. And then on the consumer side, you know, I met my husband and uh, from there really learned what it took to be also on the franchisee side, you know, building up a customer base. Where are the, what we don't call flaws, but features and the technology and, um, you know, where we can improve. And, and you know, the CEO of MadePro, Mark Kaczynski, uh, he's a, a really good friend of ours, actually ended up speaking at our wedding, um, was really instrumental in helping us connect, you know, where the deltas are in the support structure, because no longer was it just franchisees complaining about XYZ, or, you know, franchisors complaining, the franchisor complaining about franchisees. It was, you have a single person who you trust and see on both sides, they can kind of help with those communications and development. So that was that was really fun. And so with um, with Made Pro, it sounds like you were already working for for corporate, and so mm-hmm. you learned a ton about the brand. You talked to franchisees. You met your husband. Yeah. So that's kind of how you got involved on on that front. But was was there anything else in terms of your selection process or criteria? That I mean, did you check out other franchises, or were you, did you just hey, I, you know, I work with this brand. I know a ton about it. This is the one that I can see us winning with. And obviously, you you know, you have your husband too. Yeah. But what so, was, was there any kind of selection process? So yeah, my selection process for Made Pro was uh, my husband. He already <laughs> he already owned uh, a whole bunch of those. So I kind of married into that one. I was at the IFE the year prior. Exactly. That was that was like a decade <laughs> before. But um, yeah, so he had that one. And then I was actually working on the brand internally. We built what at the time was called FlyFo, which was a mosquito tick control franchise um, from the ground up. Um, this was before we were acquired. Um, so through that process, I was then 
you know, like, mm, we should probably buy one of these. If we're, if I'm building the brand and I, you know, we know the system, why don't we take on one of the investments of being, you know, one of those first five franchisees. So we did that. And then a couple of years down the road, uh, corporate acquired Men and Kilt, which is exterior cleaning. Uh, one of my good friends took over as like the COO and I was still working there at the time. So I was seeing, you know, numbers from the ground up, the ins and outs and convinced my husband to buy that one. So we bought that one as well. And then uh, most recently, I went out to lunch with Leo Goldberger from Home-Based Franchise Brands. And um, you know he was talking to me about this new closet franchise that he was, he was building. It was doing well. Brokers were buying into it. And you, you know, if brokers are buying into it, it's probably a good brand, right? So from there, I was like, that's it. I'm in. Send me an FDD. And you know, he was really great. And we you know, were able to work out a deal where we own a pretty large territory in Pennsylvania. So we're, we're super excited to you know, we just, we're just a year in and we're super excited to continue building that. So while the selection process for me, I'm very type A was just like, got it good, go. Um, we, we were, we're trying to stay obviously relatively in the home services realm because our cross marketing, um, fits really well together. So that's pretty cool. So you go to lunch, like <laughs> never probably thought you'd be a franchisee, nor did he, this is why like, you know, I was just telling to, to someone, I said, every networking I do, every single time works out. Every time. Yeah. You don't realize it at the moment. And I heard this, this quote and it was like, billionaires actually network more than anyone. That's all they do is focus on networking. Um, and there's a lot more to billionaires than just networking. But like one of the things is they network like crazy. And so had you not gone to that lunch, you never probably would have been a franchisee with them. Exactly. You know, I always, I tell my my kids like, I would rather send you to a million interpersonal, you know, communication skill classes than college at this point, um, just because it really seems like, you know, your business is built on relationships. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we, we can have a whole discussion about that, I'm sure. But yeah, <laughs> those soft skills are so critical, I think, um, with with running a business. But um, okay, so you have the brands. So home services. There's a lot of cross marketing potential. Um, would you? And it also sounds like there were you got in with uh, with some of these brands at a pretty early stage when they were still relatively emerging. So, what is your thought process there? I mean, why 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 an emerging brand versus something that's established? You had the relationships, you had the connections, but was there any fear there? Or what would you say to people that are looking at an emerging brand? Or what's the case for emerging franchises and getting in early? So I think that there. It depends on your goals and quite frankly, your financial status or not status, but your financial situation, I would say. Um, you know, a great thing about going into a bigger, stable business is there's more community support. They've pretty much seen anything that you've been through and can kind of help you out with that. You know, even if there's, you know, a legal action or whatever, they've probably got the support system to either coach you through it help support you financially or, you know, whatever it is, there's just more support and there's more proven structure. Um, the good things about emerging brands is that you can really help build those operations and um, teach while doing, which I think is great. It's kind of like a, a rent to own situation. Um, but again, it's probably going to come with more, I'd say, you know, bumps in the road, a bigger investment in a longer 
um, break even. So it took us, you know, quite a few years to get our one, our patio, which is Flyfo was rebranded to patio patrol, but, um, you know, turning a profit because there was a lot of things that we just had to figure out on the fly. So it's important when you're picking your franchisees to pick those first five to 10, be very particular about them. Because if you're just going to bring on anyone who will buy, there's a good chance that they could not be the right personality or financial fit during those times where they could be, you know, two or three years down the road. So, you know, franchise one through 10 is not going to look the same as 10 through 50 and, 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 and so on. So that's kind of what it takes for, for, to be on the, the more emerging brand side in terms of why we went, because we have a emerging, two emerging, a mid and a, a large and, um, I would say with the emerging, we like to see the opportunity and we're very good in terms of uh, split roles in our marriage slash co-ownership. So he is all operations and I'm marketing and sales. Um, if I believe a brand can work, it's his job to make it go. Um, and if he agrees that the infrastructure is there and you know likes the culture and support system, then then it's usually a green light there. Um, so for the emerging brands, positivity, we got a huge, have opportunity to have a huge, um, territory up front. Uh, and it's really on us to make that go, uh, being experienced franchisees, we had the confidence to do that and the patience to do that as well. We've got young kids. We're not moving anywhere, uh, not traveling too much. So, um, excited to do that. But I think the next brand we buy will probably be bigger because it is a grind and a hustle and takes a little bit more to uh, get it up and running. It's kind of like a newborn. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Everything you said is is like spot on, and I, I wish that like I could I might take the snippet of this recording and and put it at the beginning of our friend <laughs> process because you know we're fortunate that the people that come to us for Voda um, have been identified that they're okay with an emerging brand. They tell their consultant or broker, hey, I'm okay with emerging. And so they're coming to us already kind of knowing we're an emerging uh, brand. But I always explain that there's pros and cons to everything. Emerging brand, lots of pros, lots of cons. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, um, and same for an established brand. But like the ability to be in a prime territory, to have unfettered... I mean, you mentioned you had lunch with the CEO of, of the brand. Like, you know... You have that unfettered access to the leadership team. You get to be a little bit more creative. Um, there's just so many positives to being an early, early franchisee. But it's funny because I actually get on uh, 25% of the Fran Dev calls I do myself. The rest are with our team. But I get on and I explain to them, look, I delegated everything else in this business mostly so I could talk with you. Because for us, the first 15 people, really forever, but the first 15 if we make the mistake and bring on the wrong franchisee, we're dead in the water. Um, and it's funny because early people that are in the process, they, they don't realize that they think like, well, I'm the one writing the check. And as they learn more about it, like we're turning down, I don't know, 40% of the people that come into our process get turned down. Cause it's like, I get that you're making an investment, but it's a lot more of an investment than you would think into each franchisee from a monetary <laughs> standpoint. Um, I so mean, it's it great the way you look at it. Yeah. It really is like a marriage, you know? You know, some people bring in more money, more assets, you know, the different personality traits. Um, but at the end of the day, my husband and I say, you know, our FDD is more binding and more important than our marriage contract. So if it gives you an idea of, you know, <laughs> in terms of 
you know, bringing on the right person, um, it's a lot easier to get out of a marriage than an FDD. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. That truth. <laughs> that's that's really true. Um, well, I think something that would be helpful for everyone to to hear about, and something I'm interested in also, is just um, what is what does it look like when you first bought into the brand? I mean, obviously, you know, your husband had uh, you know his, his the Made Pro franchises, right? But with some of the the additional brands that you bought into, what did it look like when you first started it up? Like, what sort of challenges were you going through? Um, yeah, let's start there. What, what sort of challenges were you going through? What was it like early stage? What were you doing on a day to day basis? What did it look like? Yeah, so I'll give you the key takeaways for each. Otherwise, I'll, you know, I could talk for hours. But you know, the Made Pro was great because I learned from the ground up about culture, the importance of culture. It's got to, you know, from the the clients that you're servicing, the people you're employing, like it matters. You know, I've seen stories about the pros or the maids have were cleaning, jumped in the pool, and saved a kid's life. Like up stories of that magnitude, where you're saying, you know, what we do is helping people, and that's kind of what the core of how I live my life, how my husband lives our lives, and how we want to, you know. I would say raise our franchises, raise our children, raise our franchises is is with that nature in mind. And I, I'm sure that's a very common thing for most people. Uh, in terms of FlyFo, you know, this is a funny thing where I was like, all right, I worked day in and day out on this marketing. And to the day, I still think that it's really great. But I said, all right, well, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And if I really think this marketing is going to work, why don't I buy one and do it? Um, now, I... <laughs> It's a little bit of a fail because, you know, it got bought out and rebranded. There's a little bit more to that. I think, you know, obviously marketing will work depending on the investment and operations and all of that that you're going to put into it. But what I learned there is that, you know, there's going to be a million different uh, opinions on how to do something, how to market something, how you should you know, execute, if you should wait. And at the end of the day, you know, one of the, the biggest takeaways is you you have to get out and you have to do it and you have to do it right. I don't care, you know, if you make some mistakes, I don't care if the marketing is not perfect, but you can't kick the can down the road for forever, you know? So that was kind of the biggest thing is, all right, well, not you kind of build in the plane as we fly. You know, we had just built this franchise system. We were franchisee, I think, number two, and it was, well, it's mosquito season. And if we don't go right now, we're going to miss the whole season. So let's do it. Let's do it on the fly and figure it out. And, and being able to be kind of nimble and flexible was super important. When it came to Men and Kilts, we had, it was an established brand. We had acquired the US rights. Um, I was still on the franchisor team as well as in the franchise development process for being a Z. And the it was very tricky to work through different countries. And I, and that's only Canadian and American, you know, there was a lot of, uh, rub there. It was, you know, vendor prices, it was different in culture. It was, you know, all of that. So it, it took a while to figure out how to operate independently from Canada. And then after we acquired the Canadian rights, also then coexist with a franchise community that is otherwise pretty split regionally. So what I learned there was, you know, you have to know how to do things on your own as well as as a unit, which you think in franchising is just obvious. But a lot of people come into franchising going, the franchisor will do it. My manager will do it. Well, if you can't get out there and do it yourself, 
Um, you know, if if your support goes away, uh, you don't you obviously don't want your business to follow. So you know that was important. And with closetivity, that's brand new. But I think <laughs> I think after lots of investment dollars and you know four brands now, I think it's it's safe to say that. No matter what the item seven says, no matter what the item nineteen says, no matter what their franchise development, you know, cost says, it's always going to be more investment than than they say. It's just you know whether it's a brand new territory or the van breaks down or you know we rebrand the shirts, whatever it is, you should probably always save an extra percentage for the stuff that you didn't account for because when you have that little war chest there to work with, it makes things a lot less stressful, especially when you're in startup mode or, you know, multi-brand mode. Everything. I feel like everything's like that. Like when I was becoming a franchisor, I did a lot of research on what it would cost. And then I like tripled it. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, it's going to cost this much. I was like, triple. Yeah. And I'll tell you like, double feels good because if it ends up costing double, fine. But when you triple it, it's like, all right, not, I'm not saying you should do that with the franchise. <laughs> that, that would be kind of crazy. But for me, it's like, all right, well, we tripled it. So even if we come in at double, we still have a third more to yeah. feel safe. And you're right. It takes away so much, so much stress. But yeah, I, I agree. It's, you always want, what's the number one reason people fail under, undercapitalized, right? Like, so I have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. First one is, is there any difference between like culturally, like you have, one brand that's owned by a larger conglomerate, you know, bigger, uh, and then you have one that's a little bit more of a, a smaller, more close knit owner. Like, do you see any difference in the in the culture? Obviously, you know, yeah, pros and cons again. But like, what are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I went from Made Pro, which was privately owned. We were. It's so cliche. People are like, oh, we're family. These, these people were literally my family. I mean, I met my husband. They've spoken my wedding, you know, all of this stuff. When we got bought out by Riverside and we're adding brand after brand after brand, it was great. There was a, a much bigger mentor knowledge uh, base, a lot more, you know, I would say cooks in the kitchen, but it's really minds, minds at the table because within franchising, you know, it's so... It's less of a hierarchy and much more parallel communication lines, which is really great. Um, but you do lose, no matter you know which way you you cut it, you lose a lot of that community feel because it's no longer I have a problem, I can call the owner and he'll help me fix it because he can make that call. It's a lot of you know the corporate. I need approval. I need budget. We got to cut this. We got to cut that. Um, a lot more bottom line, which took away from the community a lot because not only was it people all of a sudden, I don't want to say losing support, but losing the 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 personal touch. Um, it was losing the personal touch and adding a ton of people. So all of a sudden it was kind of, we all just kind of drifted apart, which was a shame. Um and again, it's not something that's irreversible. It's on kind of the brand to to pick back up where you left off. But no matter which way, like I said, which way you slice it, as a family gets bigger, relationships get harder to to keep really close. Um, so I would say there it just became more corporate. It, it, you know, it did uh, with the closetivity. Um, it is a much more uh, intact. And now I don't. I've never worked for that franchisor, so I am a little bit on the outside. 
Um, but you can tell now, you know, we're kind of back to square one there because they are just starting to build their community, starting to do, you know, events or regional groups. Um, and it's for me, it's kind of been there, done that. I'll see, you know, I, I, I can foresee some bumps in the road. I can foresee which which way it's going to go or I wish they had this. It'll get there eventually. So it's kind of like we're in that gray zone of we get a little bit piecemeal here or there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the sweet spot only lasts for so long and, you know, nothing stays forever. So you, you got to have to figure out a way to build support and community regardless of size or, um, you know, number of personnel. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. So something you said earlier was when you were working on the uh, the marketing for I think it was Flyfo. You said, "Hey, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, right, and see how it see how it pans out." <laughs> yeah. And um, I've had a lot of people as a consultant where people have come to me or got referred to me, and uh, these are there you go. <laughs> and uh, there's been a lot of people that have come to me or gotten referred to me, or I've had conversations with someone at uh, that I that I just meet at a charity event or something like that. And it's crazy to me how many people, there's so many misconceptions, but some people think like, oh, wow, when I buy a franchise, do they like set it up for me and I just like buy it or whatever and they like run it or or they take care of all the marketing? I'm like, well, well no, it's still a business <laughs> and you have to be the one driving the business. I think there's a lot of misconceptions there. And I think a lot of people, you know, they you buy a franchise because of the support and vendor relationships and the network and the mentorship and you're buying a blueprint. But at the end of the day, you have to be the one to execute on that blueprint. You are the it factor. You're the driver of the business. But having said all of that, mm-hmm. I am curious what your perspective is in terms of the support that you actually do get from the franchise. And every franchise says, we have the best support ever. We have the best franchisee validation ever. We have the best marketing support done for you marketing. It's handled. How much of that have you found to be true? And obviously, with some of these brands, you've come from the franchisor side. but um, but how much have has your experience been in terms of how much support have you actually received and, and what did that support look like? What has been the most valuable support that some of these franchises have offered to you? So whenever someone says, you know, we have a great support, we validate so well, I just say, prove it. Prove it. Because, um, you know, that proof is in the pudding. I think support, and I'm I'm going to like ruffle some feathers here, but I think support is subjective because it really depends on the person or that disc profile, that person, whatever your persona, because you could have uh, your entrepreneur persona like myself. And um, I got it. Good. I don't need you know the everyday phone calls. I can problem solve. I can figure it out. But I, when I want support, uh, I need it now or I need you to listen when I find inefficiencies or, or a great, te- great technology that'll help. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what I would consider support. Whereas other people kind of want the daily phone calls. They need walking through QuickBooks. They want you to be there when they have a poor client call. And and a lot of times, you know, coaches end up becoming therapists. So, you know, some people will classify support that way. So I think it really depends on who you are. But regardless of who you are, the franchisor, if they know exactly the personas they're bringing on for franchisees, they need to be able to support each one. So when they go in market, 
and sell in franchise development. They're looking for your entrepreneurs, your veterans, your retirement, looking for a second job. Um, it's not only their job to know where they are, why they'll buy, who they are, what they want, but they also need to know how to support them, You know what they're looking for, what their love language is, for, for instance. Um, because that being able to understand and fulfill that on a long-term basis is a great way to kind of practice what you preach in terms of wanting them to do that for their clients. You know, if you want to increase the lifetime value of a customer, provide great service, get to know them, add additional services, refer them, all of that. Um, if you're if you're preaching to them to do that, then you need to do that for them as well. Um, so you know, support structures, coaches, every, everything is kind of a revolving door in franchising because your needs uh, change with every, you know, growth or additional service or a new franchisee. Um, but again, whoever you have in your system, you need to know how to support them. Now, that's easier said than done. Um, I think, you know, with our smaller franchisor, that's definitely something that needs to expand. And with our large franchisor, that's something that needs to be a refocus. Because I think that um, oftentimes when you're on the building, you become so overwhelmed. And I'm sure you know this, Dan, like ingrained. And there's just so much to do and so much opportunities. There's not enough time in the day. And then as you get so big, all of a sudden, everything revolves around the bottom line and you lose you lose the core of what's really building that revenue, which is people, which is your franchisees. It is your customers. It is your employees' employees. Um, so being able to always kind of refocus back to that, I would say, is is the most important and something that uh, I'm looking forward to both our franchisors continuing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I like... I definitely am like a growth-oriented CEO. I'm always thinking about growing and obviously keeping a great profit margin. but Usually, like when you start cutting anything around the people, it's it's always a short-term win and it's a long-term detriment, and you lose people and they leave. And I never really understand it because you see it every time, you know, a new owner comes in, uh, cut this, cut that. And it's like the 20 grand you spent on that a year was attributing to like all of this revenue that you're not you can't really quantify. Um I, I don't know. I just, I think that you could, I'd rather grow than cut, but, you know, obviously still being effective and, and efficient, you know, but so I have a question for you. Um, you've learned a ton, multiple businesses, you know, you're really super experienced, but like, what was like the fire my boss moment? Like, what was like the, the decision? Like I'm done working for someone else. And like, that's it. Like, what was that moment for you? So uh, March 2020, right? Pandemic starts. Um, my th Two of my three children are, are stepkids. So at the time, I didn't have my own. Uh, I was, you know, dating my now husband. And he um, had two kids. And I came down to visit for a weekend and just, hey, hey, what's going on? See the kids, see him. Um, and then the pandemic happened and my flights got canceled and I was in Boston at the time and I was visiting in Philly and, you know, the whole pandemic came crashing down and I never went home. So all of a sudden I went from, I have a boyfriend, it was two kids and, you know, a couple States away to 
holy shit, I'm a stepmom to two kids and I now live with a husband, two kids and two dogs. Um, and I have a full-time job. So I think that was the moment that I realized um, very quickly, uh, I want to be around for all of the moments, but I still want to have a career um, in franchising and, and being a franchisee focused first. Obviously, I also work in corporate, but being a franchisee and quote unquote, yeah, firing my boss, who was also my franchisor, <laughs> was I said, you know, this is this is it because I, I need to, at the time, the kids were one and three. So it was, I need to help make the daycare runs. I want to help cook and I want to, you know, I don't want them to always see their new stepmom walking out the door in a business suit and coming home after they go to bed. So I would say that was, that was my moment. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so it's funny because you say, yeah, you know, currently I, well, yeah, I work with corporate now. I have these different franchises. I'm sure there's people that are listening to this thinking like, how do you how do you do that? How do you manage it? And yet you still have time to come on here during the middle of the day and <laughs> hop on a podcast. You have your own podcast, which we can touch on. Yeah. How do you manage it all? I mean, what does your day-to-day typically look like? Now, obviously you have the infrastructure in place with your teams and whatnot, but what does it look like and how did you how did you get to that point? Yeah. So it's a little crazy right now because my our third child is 10 weeks old. So very much, very much in newborn stage. Um, I would say that the biggest advice I can give is a couple things is one is don't, you know, over or just simply glorify being busy. Uh, I think people love, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And at the end of the day, um, busy means that there's always going to be something that's not getting as much attention as you'd like to give. On that, it's understanding that the balance between family and work is never even. You know, if it is even, it's fleeting because if you're doing great at work, chances are you think you're a sucky parent. If you're crushing it as a parent, chances are there's a million emails that aren't being answered. Um, So understanding that that balance is just a constant seesaw and and that's okay. Um, Third would be that... it really does take a village. You know, I have a terrific support structure. Um, I have great friends, great neighbors, great family. So, you know, that's also super, super helpful. And, and being able to say yes to help and ask for help with, is is necessary, especially coming from someone who <laughs> does not. Little Miss uh, Independent over here. And then I would say after that, um, you really have to, to prioritize. It took me a long time to realize that the to-do list is never to done, if you will, you know, it's just, there's always something you can add. And, um, I started to phrase it as, you know, just a, see how, try to get two or three things done off the list, but that doesn't mean you have to, you failed or you can never do that. Or it's just being more realistic with timelines and then prioritizing, you know, what, what's most important, what's going to be, uh, most satisfying, whether it's, you know, your bills, your family, your work, First, once you're done with that, then everything after that's a bonus. This is like, it's like gold, what you're saying. Because <laughs> I'm like, it's funny. I've never, I've never had as much going on as I have going on. Mm-hmm. And I used to not understand certain people I've looked up to. Like, I'm all about being responsive. I answer everybody. But I actually think it's a, people that have never ran a company a certain size will say like, oh, you have to get back to everyone. I physically cannot get back to everyone. Like, no, yeah, it's. Impossible. I don't. It's not. I'll have a missed call. 
And if it's not related to like my most important things for the business, I just don't call back. And it doesn't mean I don't like that person. Like family, it's like I can only see you. Yeah, missed text messages like right now. <laughs> but I'm saying like, and it's like, I wake up and I say to myself, like, I only can do this. Even if you worked every minute of the day, there's only so much you can do. And so I just, I don't let anything. And people think I'm rude now because I'm like, look, I'm sorry. I'm, if it doesn't affect the, the, the 10 things I have that are so important this day, today, I just can't, I can't have that talk and like, I can't help you right now. I used to be in a position where I could like do more like coaching or mentoring. It's like, I will again, sure. but right now I'm just not in that position. So it's, it's interesting because what you just said about like, you're basically never going to be winning at all three family, health, work mm-hmm. at once and just accept that. I really like that. Yeah. And right now, uh, I would say right now, my, my win factor is like uh, work parenting and then health. Like for instance, this morning, I was like, oh damn, this Arnold Palmer's really hitting. It wasn't until three hours later, I realized that shit was spiked. No wonder it felt so good. <laughs> so, you know, health is not, not uh, doing, <laughs> doing so good, but you know, just understanding that, that life's about. And, you and you, yeah, yeah. And you have to put them all. I actually just made this, I, I, I lost the, not to keep talking about me, but I, I lost the gym once we launched in April and Coral, Coral, my my girlfriend was like, you can't like, just not, or what are you not going to work out for the next three years? Like, it's going to be hard (laughs) for the next three years. What are you just not going to do anything else? And so like, I made a new rule. Now it's that like, not every day, but when I do work out, it's like, that's the first thing before I do anything else. Cause otherwise it's never going to happen. Um, but yeah, you're balancing a family. It's, it's a lot. Um, well, I mean, what I've, what I've also what has been a huge help to me, um, is, you know, two things. One, my husband and I, we rate our days one to 10. If you're under a five, like, then it's like, do you need support or do you need problem solving? Do you want me to sit there and be like, here's a beer and you need a back massage? Or do you need me to be like, how do we fix this hiring? That's wrong. You know, if, if it's above a five, that's great. You know, we're having a good day. Um, and then after that is just, it's too hard to split family time and work. I notice that like when I'm with my baby and trying to like, it's my turn to do all of that and watch her and hold her. If I'm constantly thinking about work, it's taking away from it, even though I can't do anything about it. So I try to just be like, nope, now is family time. I have to shut it off. And then of course, you know, what we have a, you know, a nanny for while I work during the days, I'm like, nope, she's Okay this is my work. You know, I don't need to, you know, worry about that stuff. So that doesn't work for everyone, but it definitely works for me because the constant uh, back of the mind pull I find is, is much more draining than just going all in on, on what you're focusing on. I, I love what you said about rating your day. I'm going to start doing that because I think that's, it's a good gauge. And obviously it's, you know, every it's subjective and whatever, but that is entirely the point though, because it's how you're feeling about your day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Man, I love that. I think that's just such a smart thing, a smart way to do it. Because am I am I on track or am I not on track? And then it's a good way to communicate to the people and the support systems in your life how you're doing. So I love that. I'm going to steal that. It's a lot um, less fighting. It's a lot less fighting. I'll tell you that. I <laughs> so, um, so within your franchise businesses, I mean, obviously now you have a 10 week old. I'm sure that takes a lot of time. Um, but what is what is your involvement in the franchise look like on a day to day or week to week basis? Is it you know, meeting with managers. You said you work more on the sales and marketing side. Um, what does that typically look like? I know you said your your husband works more on the ops side operations. Um, so, what, what does that look like? And you know, obviously now it looks a lot different than when you first 
got involved in the franchises, I'm, I'm sure. But what does that what does that look like? So, my uh, job now is uh, to manage the marketing, and we have an interesting because we have a large agency that handles the marketing through the franchisor for one of our brands. We have NetSertive, which is who I work for, which is a smaller digital marketing company for another brand. We have in-house for one brand and then in-house for another brand. So we see it from all, all different sides. Um, excuse me. Uh, I say in-house for one of our brands. I mean, we also are like partners with a, a digital marketing agency um, here locally. So we see it from all different sides. So my job now is to kind of manage all of those, make sure we're hitting benchmarks. For the most part, we know what we should hit. And I understand the marketing landscape thoroughly enough that I understand the spend and the avenues in which it needs to come from. And if it's not hitting, then it's my job to figure out why. Um, and then it's a lot of uh, helping on the day-to-day in terms of, you know, <laughs> whether it's literally in the weeds of washing a million dollar million kilts because our window washers need their kilts washed professionally, or it's, you know, trying to figure out how to mend a hiring structure or what is a way that we can get health benefits for our managers, um, that sort of thing. So it's it's much more holistic on what we call we call it our Zook Industries. So we're Zook Industries is the brand of all four of our is our little mini portfolio of brands. Um, much more holistic rather than you know deep into it. But just as it comes on, you know, rating your days one through ten, a lot of the times there is a brand that has a fire that needs to be put out. Um, and very rarely when there is not a fire, it's okay. W- which brand needs the most love right now? Which I, you know, I won't lie. It's very, it's difficult to have two slash three emerging mid-sized brands because they're all, it's like having triplets, you know? Um, and then, you know, the older one doesn't get as much love, even though they're the biggest money maker, and that's where you should be investing your time. So it's, it's, it's a very big push or pull. Um, but again, you know, my roles really are just making sure that our portfolio is staying on track and I can help in terms of driving those revenue and sales uh, to where they need to be. So operationally, we can support, you know, a bigger infrastructure as we grow. Well, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how do they, how can they do that? Um, probably the easiest way is to just show up at my door with a pizza. No, um... LinkedIn, probably the best way. That's, you know, where I'm on most of the time in terms of communication. Um, and then of course, you know, through one of our our brands, we're in uh Ambler or, you know, greater Philadelphia area or through NetSertive or through you guys. I'm pretty much always available and never available. You get that, Dan. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, and you do have the uh... What, what is your podcast called again? Uh, I have a podcast called The Art of Franchise Marketing. So what we do is we... It's through NetSertive where I, I work. Um, and we interview brands and we talk about what's working, what's not working in the world of franchise marketing, both consumer and development, um, and see if we can't find you know continuing trends and uh, you know start not only... You know, giving the brands you know some awareness and some insight into kind of what what's going on behind the curtain, but also you know connecting executives and, and brand leaders um, from those brands with each other. I love it. So basically, once Dan and I help someone buy the right franchise for them, we can uh, send them to you so they can get their marketing dialed exactly. in. Exactly, we'll help them out. <laughs>
That sounds awesome. awesome. Well, cool. Well, Madeline, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to come on and share your insight. I know that this is valuable for, I'm sure, franchisors, franchisees, people that are thinking about becoming franchisees. So super appreciate your time. I'm sure we'll have you back at some point because there's so much more we could ask you about, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But um, thanks everyone again for, for tuning into another episode. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, share it, all that good stuff. And we'll see you on the next episode of the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. Thank you, guys. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 